0: To From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general.
1: Yep. And you can find or follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook, which is at From Skirts to Scrubs. We're on Twitter at FSTS underscore podcast. And then you can also check out our website for more information on our episodes, show notes, sources merch, and more. And that is from skirts to scrubs.com.
0: Yeah. And you can also subscribe to us on whatever your favorite podcasting app is. You can also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts is the best place for both of those things. And you can leave ratings on Spotify. Yes, you can. Alrighty. Episode
1: 42. We're talking about sex ed, sexual education, through the ages. I know I'm excited about this episode. It's really funny, (laughs) but okay. So today we're talking about sex ed through the ages. And the thing is, is, you know, when we think about sexual education, we often think about like health class or the class that they teach in school. But of course you can't just type in like sex ed class history into a search engine because that's going to really only take you back like about a hundred years. and I wanted to get into like some ancient stuff. And so oh. today we're not really talking as much about we're talking some about, you know, the formal class that we take in school, but then we're also covering just kind of a wide breadth of different sexual practices from history. and they're honestly really funny and like weird and and then we're gonna move from that into formal sexual education in the modern day.
0: Cool. This is awesome. I'm yeah. excited. As you should
1: be. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so Shar, what do you know about sex ed or like different ancient and historical sexual practices?
0: Um, Anything? I mean, <laughs> okay, what do I know about sex ed? It is a class in school where you learn about sex but you also learn about like how your body works I guess um depending on like how old you are but I also know that some schools don't have it and that parents can opt out of it so kids never do sex ed ed, so those are big things okay and then the second thing sexual practices in history I do know a lot about like Roman sex and Roman like sexual practices (laughs) so niche so So niche. niche just mainly about like men with men basically about like the relationships Mm -hmm. that like boys and like adult men would have in Roman society and like how it was like a mentorship thing but there was like sex involved but it wasn't penetrative sex a a lot goes into it but like I know a little bit about that from college from one of my classes I took so well very niche like you said that is so so specific
1: yeah but all right so you knew like you know kind of a lot but also like very little yeah so exactly. that's great lovely well <laughs> let's just dive right in okay let's do it all right so we are going to begin in an era that we often begin in which is ancient egypt a uh, classic a we good always starting point there. Oh, I, I kind of like starting there. Part of me—it's a good knows, Part of me knows I could dive into like Mesopotamia or something more ancient, but sometimes I just like to start with Egypt.
0: <laughs> it's so just, it's the a Egyptians comfortable
1: place to start at this point. It's it's yes yes yeah. we do what we know. So the Egyptians, as we know, were very advanced and very intelligent, and you know they believed. That the very first Egyptian god named Atum created himself, but then he had no wife. And so he created his sons through masturbation. Just outright masturbation. I know. Great, great way to start. We we came out of the gates really (laughs) hot here. Okay. Another god named Min was thought to be the primary male fertility god. And so in ancient hieroglyphics, it's been found that he has <laughs> had a permanently erect penis.
0: Ow. That sounds painful. I know. Object- He's a painful. neurologist.
1: I know that's called pre But no, that that was like, if you look up Min, the ancient Egyptian god, he just has like a permanently erect penis. And wow. essentially if a man like an ancient Egyptian was having issues with impotence or um, like trouble with erections, he would have to make a offering of phallic shaped figures to this god. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was like what he had to do. And then this god was also like randomly associated with Egyptian lettuce.
0: Just lettuce. Like Egyptian salads?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not. I think it's a special kind of lettuce slash. I don't know if this is actually, it's not real. It's not like romaine lettuce, but um, the plant that they refer to as Egyptian lettuce, I guess, emits this white milky kind of sap. And. I guess that looked like semen. And so.
0: Oh, okay.
1: They were like, oh, he's also the
0: God of this Egyptian lettuce. My mind immediately with like, I was like gonorrhea. <laughs> like right away. In my head.
1: <laughs> that sounds like oh. a girl who's been studying, but in ancient Egypt, adultery was punishable by death, wow. but they were super into porn there so porn they would have like porn like, hieroglyphics like, what? yeah 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 And <laughs> they were like pretty explicit if I'm being honest <laughs> I oh my was, god the web the site that I was reading this on had some examples and I was like this is quite explicit wow um and then the last little tidbit about ancient Egypt that I thought was really funny was um that and it's my favorite is that they often use sex in their insults of people.
0: Oh, so, what does
1: that mean? So, so, they would insult people by saying things like, May you copulate with a donkey. May a donkey copulate with your wife. May oh your God. child cop- copulate with your wife. Oh
0: that's just a lot
1: a lot of copulation with donkeys and wives and children yeah and it was like a very major insult to give another person yikes i know don't do that so of course talking about copulation sex all this carries over (laughs) to ancient greece um but then the emphasis on sex and sexuality was also clashed in ancient Greece, and because the Greeks had this kind of purist sense of morality and law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they focused less on the actual act of like sexual sin, but more on an individual's behavior and how that behavior impacted others. So they would basically try to, like, they tried to, like, separate sex and sin from the ways that, like, sex impacted their lives. Like, they tried to keep them both separate. Okay. Um, But it's funny because the Greek gods are just known to have been boobing around, like, willy-nilly having a ton of sex. So true. I know. Are there any gods that come to mind?
0: Aphrodite.
1: In Aries, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: there's like a whole myth about it, like them getting caught in the act. It's true. It's true. Aphrodite was one of them. And then
1: also like Zeus, of course, he was just out here doing it with everything and everyone. And then Aphrodite, as you mentioned, is also a good example. But Greek humans were like really not that different. So they had a lot of sexual paraphernalia and it was in everything it was in their plays and their statues it was everywhere so greek literature vases
0: like greek vases explicit content
1: like for (laughs) real (laughs) rated r (laughs) literally
0: rated r vase
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah even greek literature would often describe women masturbating either by hand Or with the help of a special device, apparently. Didn't know that. I was like, that's very forward thinking. Yeah. Also forward thinking. um, Apparently, Greek boys were taught not to see themselves as either heterosexual or homosexual, but rather as having same sex and opposite sex sexual desires. And so the idea was that,
0: yeah, yeah, (laughs) very, it was so common in like Greece and Rome for men to have sex with men or relations Mm -hmm. with men. Didn't have to be like sex. Super common and like wasn't thought of as being like, oh, you are only homosexual, like you said.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And And the idea is that having these desires of wanting to have same sex or opposite sex sex could, exist in the same person. Um, And so basically, I know basically like same sex, sex was essentially a sexual act alone. It didn't define the type of person. And it's interesting because the Greeks believed that since women were inferior beings to men, unfortunately a man who wanted to love truly in the purest sense of the word had to love another man.
0: Interesting.
1: I know. Hmm. But overall, the ancient Greeks saw sexual pleasure pleasure as a natural and healthy part of life. And the concept of sexual sin just didn't exist. They just kept all these things like, they kept that concept very separate from what they believed.
0: And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That is really cool.
1: Um, Flash to ancient Rome. What ideas come to mind when you think about sex and Rome, Charlotte? Not the whole concept of same-sex sex, sex, but more just like, what do you think about when you think about Rome and sex? I
0: don't know. My mind went straight to Roman marriage for some reason. And like how women were encouraged to marry. So I guess ideas of sex that it was like between man and wife, but I don't know. Okay. I mean, you know, not, But actually, not that far off. So, I think
1: something when we think about ancient Rome or ancient Greece, I think often, you know, the first thing that might come to people's minds is um, this idea of like very promiscuous people. People are hooking up left and right without a care. Um, But actually, what's interesting about Rome in particular that I often forget is that religion has a huge role. Not only like pagan religions, but like the transition from pagan religion to Catholic church.
0: Yeah. Because the Catholic
1: church took hold in the last centuries of the Roman Empire. And so they were the ones to change the narrative to make it seem that the pagan gods of old Rome were out of control and lustful and wanton. Right. Yeah. 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 But the Romans actually had very strict sets of moral guidelines which they called mos maiorum, um which means the way of the elders and this was their code of good conduct. And this kind of ties into what you're talking about Charlotte where so men were expected to have like self-control and then women were expected to be chaste. And so the women who were married were expected to procreate there was no concept of pleasure in sex
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: which really checks out with like everything we know about the catholic church and christianity and kind of you know general themes in that realm not always but generally right um and then of course we kind of run into there's like the ideal you know the chaste woman the very well-controlled man and then we run into, like, reality, which is, like, very Game of Thrones energy, where men were allowed to sleep around as much as they wanted, as long as their mistresses or the women that they were sleeping with weren't married.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or they were allowed to, like, have sex with boys as long as the boys were of a certain age and it didn't necessarily need to be, like, penetrative sex, like you're saying. Yes. Um. Yeah. So, essentially, these older men were just allowed to run amok. Like, they could do whatever they wanted. But the women were not allowed that, as we know.
0: Yeah, that adds up, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately. But TLDR on ancient Rome, there's a strict set of moral guidelines kind of enacted by the Catholic Church. Um, and those things kind of persisted. But in the reality, that was not what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. The Middle Ages, as boring as that time period was, was also very saucy in my mind,
0: but it was less. You know, I mean, it wasn't actually (laughs) a lot of period dramas are like in the Middle Ages, right? And period dramas are quite saucy shows or books. They are. Oh, they are. It's all adding up. Very
1: much are. Well, I think it's because like either if we're talking about the Middle Ages, we're either like really dialing it up and making it like very saucy, or we're talking about like pouring buckets of poop out the window. Like it's not a cute. (laughs) There's like no in the middle. It's either very (laughs) accurate. Yeah, exactly. We either have to keep it extremely accurate and like that wasn't a cute time, or we have to spice it up. Fair. The Middle Ages okay. is not the way. Good. If I was a historian, it's very clear I would not be studying the Middle Ages. But like I was saying, the Middle Ages was also quite a saucy time in history in less of a free, romantic, sexually liberated, kind of fun, flirty, fling kind of way. But it was more of a sexual repression, overwhelming fear of sin kind of thing. <laughs> so like, oh,
0: God. really not
1: that <laughs> not cute. Yeah. But people were still having a lot of sex, obviously. It was believed that men often died from sexual excess. What? But also from too little sex. So, like,
0: so oh, so again, only the extremes.
1: Only extremes. And this apparently came up a lot for the monks
0: in the Middle Ages. Because they wouldn't do it for because (laughs) they had a lot of sex. Which one could it be? (laughs) It's because they
1: were celibate. Because they were celibate. (laughs) Because they weren't having a lot of sex. And honestly, like we don't talk about the monks enough. Like we gotta do we gotta do them more justice. (laughs) But I found a quote that I thought was really funny. So the quote goes Having desired a woman 70 times before matins the monk died his autopsy revealed a brain shrunk to the size of a pomegranate and eyes that had been destroyed i don't know who this guy was or oh who God. did his autopsy but they were <laughs> they need a new they need a new pathologist literally take away that man's impossible. license <laughs> <laughs> snatch that away oh god yeah no but no i guess these monks were
0: really these monks were really down bad yikes well i'm sorry monks you gave your life for nothing i guess i know i have a shrunken brain
1: but overall the monks and others who had too little sex were clearly not doing well and that's the moral of that story Mm -hmm. so let's jump forward i don't know what happened between the Middle Ages and like the seventeen eighteen hundreds, because there was just like n- I could not find any information.
0: On I that. mean, that um, makes sense, honestly. Like that's kind of the a hole in history. You yeah. know, it was like the is yeah. like after the Middle Ages, and there was like yeah, that's a whole other historical discussion. But yeah, adds up for lack of knowledge. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but jump forward in time to the 17, 1800s, In America, health reformers thought that the ideal man would be able to have enough discipline over his body, specifically like when it came to masturbating. So masturbating was like a big part of sex sex ed and like sexual discussions for like a lot of this modern history, which is really interesting to me.
0: Interesting. All right.
1: In an article in the Boston Medical and Surgical Journal in 1835, they warned that ejaculation, quote, should be made sparingly since manhood dot 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 loses its energy and bends under too frequent expenditure of this important secretion, which essentially means that if you masturbate, you will lose your manhood. And manhood equals semen. And I guess there was like this concept that if you masturbated, you would lose your manhood. So you shouldn't masturbate. And this was a very common train of thought. Very, very common knowledge.
0: Interesting.
1: And so this, among the rapid urbanization of the late 1800s and the early 1900s, was accompanied by, you know, this kind of brought on this increased interest in organized sex ed. And, you know, people were moving from farms now to these big cities. And American kids went from living on their family's farm, watching where they were, you know, they could politely observe the mating of their family's livestock. That's kind of like how sex ed came about in a very unofficial way. Right. They would go from doing that to now not having any exposure to sex. And living in overcrowded cities and just, like, not knowing what to do with themselves. And in 1913, Chicago actually became the first major city to implement sex ed for high schools. Oh, wow. I know. But it didn't last long, unfortunately, because the Catholic Church got very upset. And so they were like, we're shutting that down for now. I mean, yeah. I don't think they said for now. They said, we're shutting that down. Um, so that actually shut down for some time. But funnily enough, it wasn't until something else kind of ramped up in rates that sex ed kind of came back into play. Can you guess what that thing was, Charlotte? We did the, a whole episode on it. Old disease. Venereal disease, a classic sexually transmitted infection. Uh, Yeah, I don't
0: know.
1: But yeah, I mean, it wasn't until STI started kind of running rampant during World War One that the American government wanted to pursue, kind of promote sex ed. So the earliest sexual education film was called Damaged Goods.
0: That's good. That's why I like that. That would be like a Netflix documentary now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. It's called Damaged Goods. And it warned soldiers of the consequences of syphilis. Specifically. And then in the film, a man has sex with a prostitute the night before his wedding, gets syphilis. Passes the disease on to his newborn baby and then commits suicide.
0: (laughs) There are so many things to unpack right here. Where did the baby come from?
1: His wife. So quick. I mean, it wasn't like it's a whole movie, Charlotte. I just gave you the synopsis. I gave you a one-liner. Do you need to? Do you need me to walk you through this? He had sex with a prostitute. He had his wedding. He gave his wife syphilis. His wife gave birth to a baby with syphilis, and then he committed suicide because he gave his baby syphilis. Wow, that's tragic. Did that check out?
0: It I checks know, out. Right? It checks out now. Yeah,
1: it it does. It does. But that was damaged goods. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. In the 1920s, schools started to reintegrate sex ed into their curricula they would warn students about masturbation particularly boys at the time saying that it can seriously hinder a boy's progress towards manhood there's a lot of emphasis on manhood and losing it um they also tried using older media and literature to teach students about puberty and sex and so that's where the birds and the bees kind of came in oh yeah so they would like use like older concepts of explaining sex to explain it to these kids Mm -hmm. but in the 1920s yeah um sex ed really exploded from the 30s to the 60s so, in the 1930s, the US Office of Education started publishing materials to help train teachers in sex ed. In the 40s and 50s, there were courses about human sexuality, which started popping up in higher education. So, you could take kind of sexuality courses in college and beyond. Mm-hmm. And then in 1964, Mary Calderone. A physician and former medical director at Planned Parenthood founded the Sexuality, Information, and Education Council of the United States, which oh, wow. is essentially didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's actually a national nonprofit organization that is dedicated to affirming kind of sexuality and that sexuality is a fundamental part of health and it's um. Just like a nonprofit that helps promote sexual education,
0: which is really cool. That is cool. Yeah.
1: Good job, Mary. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, some of the most resistance to the sex ed movement came in the late 60s and early 70s, which is kind of counterintuitive because that was like a very progressive time. Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: weird. But it's
1: because sex ed became political at that time. And there was so much, you know, political stuff going on. It joined that
0: Which is space. interesting I feel like that time was a time of like sexual freedom at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Maybe but that was it also, the backlash is
1: taking away sex ed. Yeah. I think it was that. I think it was that because sex ed in a formal setting, especially because at the time, sexual education wasn't for adults we were teaching you know teenagers about it and still are and so when we're teaching anything to kids it comes more from like a government perspective rather than like a cultural phenomenon kind of perspective and so it was the religious conservatives who were building a movement around kind of anti-sex ed sentiment Uh, Because they didn't approve of discussing sexual instruction in public schools in particular. So that kind of, that makes sense with what we're saying. Okay. I don't know if they thought, (laughs) I don't know what they thought was happening in sex ed. Like if they thought their kids were watching porn or whatever, but they were just really not into the whole teaching kids about sex thing. Oh, yikes. Yeah. They said that sex ed was promoting promiscuity and sexual, I mean- and moral depravity apparently there was a widely distributed pamphlet in 1968 called is the schoolhouse the proper place to teach raw sex
0: (laughs) raw sex
1: (laughs) yeah i love that title like what a direct title
0: hey it grabs the attention Um,
1: honestly it it really does And there were rumors apparently that teachers were encouraging students to be gay, to strip, and to even have sex in front of their classes. So, like, they literally were painting a picture that was like worse than porn. Oh my God. But anyway, these religious people really scared the living crap out of parents. But things did get better eventually in the 1980s. And this is kind of. A hard question but can you guess why things may have gotten better in the 80s char what happened in the 80s
0: oh no um
1: it was like a medical oh I don't phenomenon know. a public health hiv hiv it was the aids and hiv pandemic um so every state passed mandates for aids education And so they needed to have sexual education for that reason. Mm. Now it's like, okay, we need to have sex ed. But how do we make sex ed fit the religious kind of standards? Well, conservatives started a movement to rebrand sexual education as abstinence education.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So that was kind of where this like was born from. And it's interesting because also at the same time, there was a lot of discussions about masturbation again, and whether that should be promoted to decrease riskier sexual behavior.
0: Oh, interesting. The idea I know, right? It's like opposite them before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because now they're kind of faced with the fact of like, okay, we can't avoid people having sex. We can't stop talking about it. So, what should we do to kind of help not necessarily improve sex practices, but more so decrease rates of this disease? Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of forced to talk about it. Right. And the idea was that if we did. Increase or allow men to masturbate, then maybe they would engage in less overtly risky behavior, whatever that means.
0: Okay.
1: I don't think they understand how sex really works, but that's I was fine. Gonna say,
0: where's the evidence-based studies for this? <laughs> yeah, there's no
1: evidence. There's not. Not
0: good question. No.
1: It's interesting that there's no way to like completely ban discussion on this topic, and so instead they would just promote like fear-based absence only sexual education as like the next best option right yeah now several things have changed since that time but a lot has honestly stayed the same so for example we now know that we have a much better ex- understanding of HIV and AIDS So now there's like a lot of different discourse around the disease and its relation to sexual education. Like honestly, with the really good antibiotics we have now, the good antiretrovirals, and then the good understanding that we have of, you know, other STIs, HIV, AIDS, there is like less discussion about it, I think, in relative to what they had to do before. Mm hmm. And so that's something that's changed. STI awareness, as I briefly mentioned, has also improved, but it's not perfect by any means. Mm -hmm. And then birth control isn't illegal anymore because that was the thing. And so now it's discussed more often, probably not as much as it should be, but like that also plays into, you know, different sexual practices. But still, regardless of all of this, abstinence only is the most common approach to sex ed today. And depending on where you live and the beliefs of your community, you might not even get that. But sex ed overall is just a weird concept. And it's really interesting to look at it through the ages because the ways we understand and discuss sex have changed. And of course, they continue to vary across the world. But one thing is definitely certain That the more clear and honest that we are with our young people about sex and how to practice it safely, the less unintended and often dangerous consequences are experienced and and that benefits all of us. So that's kind of like the heavy message I wanted to leave us with and the important one. But I wanted to end on a light note because this topic is just like truly so funny. And so I wanted to read you some questions that real students, real teenagers have asked in their sex ed classes.
0: Oh, I have one I can add that I remember someone asking in my sex ed class. So go ahead.
1: Oh, my God. Okay. so these are questions about puberty and anatomy that people have asked. Where do boys put tampons? Ah. Is it normal to have one very long pube? why just one (laughs) (laughs) like it's so good like like, is it normal to have one that's like way longer than the others why does my vagina look like roast beef (laughs) Ah. (laughs) i love this one if a boy kicks a girl in the vagina (laughs) can his foot get stuck (laughs) 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 and then why them girls got so many holes? Um, wow. Where did you find these other? Questions? There's a website. <laughs> <laughs> it's called teachermisery.com.
0: That's so good. I need to look that up. I know.
1: So, these are TMI sex ed questions. So the first is if sperm <laughs> If sperm don't have eyes, how do we have eyes? (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) The next question. Can you keep sperm in a jar like pets in a fish tank? (laughs) (laughs) And then my last question is that someone, a real child, asked, is it okay to be naked on a wrecking ball?
0: (laughs) Ask that in sex ed Um. class. So
1: I have so much faith in the um, future of our country based off of these questions.
0: I remember someone in my in my sex ed class in middle school asked, can you have ear sex? <laughs> oh, yeah, they asked that on this website too. <laughs> really? Maybe he's yeah. that kid. You never know. Maybe it wasn't. I think it's just a common <laughs> question. I think we were talking about like different types of sex you could have. And he was like, well, why not the ear? <laughs> That's so funny. Well, anyway.
1: we can get into our questions. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Okay, Charlotte, what are your thoughts? Tell me
0: the thinking. All right, thoughts. One, I realized why my mind went to Roman marriage specifically. And I like did a little searching through my Google Drive and figured out why. I wrote this paper in college specifically on the Augustan area in Rome and its marriage legislation and then how it was reflected in Roman myth at the time. It was a very specific paper that I need to write to get my minor. Oh, no, you froze. Alicia. You froze. I think you're still frozen. Hello. I know. I no, can you hear me? Can you yeah, hear me? No, I can hear you.
1: Okay. you like really were like choppy, and so I was listening very <laughs> intently, but I understood because you said something about the Augustian thing and how you wrote this very niche paper,
0: super niche. But it was funny. That is extremely niche. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a classical studies minor that you wrote, you study very niche things. Um, this is true. But you mentioned, what is it called? The, blah blah, 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 blah the, the, the most, the moss morium, the way of elders yeah. code. And that's what yeah. I, it like sparks something in my memory. I was like, oh my God, I wrote a paper on some type of code. And specifically in the like Augustan area of Rome, it was called the Lex Julia. And it was like a moral agenda, basically, that people followed. Oh. And it ended up being like in law and enforced marriage and like promoted childbirth and stuff, stuff like that. But anyway, that's why I thought of like Roman marriage, I think, because I, heard oh, bit. that makes sense. That makes sense. But it's just interesting to see like how marriage was a huge part of Rome. That was my thought on that. Other thoughts. I had one talking about um, sex ed and how people are scared. They were teaching people how to be gay or like promoting that. That is so real today. Still like Mm. people like was it in Florida? It's illegal to like say gay. Yeah. You know, things like that were like they can't have any
1: books on like almost anything are so afraid
0: that teachers are like promoting people to be anything but heterosexual which is like a whole other issue of people being homophobic but like to talk about so that's like a still a huge fear today and then I also I was thinking about like drag queens I've been seeing a lot of stuff Mm. about how people like don't want exposure like kids be exposed to drag queens because they think it's gonna like promote some type of promiscuous sexuality I don't know And so, like, they'll have have events where drag queens will, like, read to kids and stuff, and people don't like that. They hate that. And it just, those ideas in, like, the 70s or whenever it was about that, I'm like, that is literally today, nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thought was that, like, when sex ed came about after the AIDS epidemic, like, how they use fear-based, like, you'll get pregnant, you will die, like, in, um... Like, in Mean Girls, they're like, if you get pregnant, you will die. You know, like, fear-based sex ed. That is literally how Christianity is. Like, Christianity, I don't know. If, I can't speak mm. for other religions, but, like, Christianity is fear-based. You're supposed to, like, fear that if you don't believe these things or trust God, then you will go to hell. Or, like, God will punish you. You know, like, it's, like, fear-based. So, it's interesting that the people who pushed for sex ed to be a certain way is also fear-based. So I just saw that connection really well there.
1: And I'm sure this is like among other religions I, too, say, that I don't have like know, a very so I can't speak for other religions. Code. Yeah, but. very valid. I mean, I'm not going to try to either, like naming specific religions, but I, I feel like any religion that has like a very strict moral code of like there is punishment and reward, like also likely has yeah a similar.
0: But it's interesting that like conservative and religious peoples who influenced how sex ed is taught, a core part of the religion is reflected in sex ed now without actually talking about religion, I guess.
1: It's so true. I mean, I've never really like given much thought to like why we're so like abstinence heavy, but like upon learning about it, I'm like, yeah, I I understand that it's like based in religion because why else would it be so stringent if there weren't such like high stakes quote unquote high stakes in terms of like punishment and reward of like going to hell versus going to heaven
0: yeah so. this is the last thing you you kind of like mentioned in passing how like birth control being a part of sex ed and like learning about birth control I was just thinking I had a patient this week it was in her 20s or 30s I don't remember and she wanted to get like the depo shot and we were just talking yeah. about like different side effects of the shot and why we thought maybe just based on her situation, it was best if she tried different birth control. And we were explaining like an IUD and she literally had no idea what we were talking about. Like, she was like, what's an IUD? Where does it go? And I was like, oh, like it was in your uterus. And she was like, excuse me, like just shocked, didn't know anything about the IUD. And I was just baffled coming out of that interaction. Like most people I know have IUDs. I thought that was interesting. And then I, I was thinking about... Like birth control education in general,
1: and those are all my thoughts. Those are some great thoughts.
0: <laughs> Thanks. They were very specific this week. Really
1: paying close attention. I have very specific thoughts about this topic. <laughs> Going off of your thoughts and stuff that you touch on a bit on the in the episode, what was your experience kind of with sex ed, and how did your experience fit into, or maybe kind of? go outside of some of the narratives that we've talked about in this episode regarding sexual education.
0: Couple memories of sex ed. I have like one memory of talking about periods and stuff like that. I know at least my elementary, I can't remember like distinctly, I guess, but I know it's abstinence based sex ed. Mm-hmm. I had that one memory of the ear thing. So it was funny. So we must've been talking about actual sex then. I think that same class, we watched like a birth video. I think that was more in depth. Yeah. But I don't remember specifically, but my one like strong memory from elementary school and sex ed was my teacher was describing how like a sperm gets to an egg. And then that like creates an embryo and that becomes a baby. And then we talked about how like eggs are in girls and sperm are in boys. And I was like, how the crap does a sperm get like from the boy to a girl? And I was like, that doesn't make any sense because I didn't know about sex. So I was like, what? And I asked my teacher and she literally refused to answer. She was like, go home and ask your parents. And like, This is a class where we're talking about sex ed and she couldn't Mm. answer the question. So I don't know if it's because she wasn't allowed to or what. I was young. I didn't question her. I just went home and asked my parents and then they explained. And then we had the birds and the bees talk. That's my experience. So I'm pretty sure my sexual education was very absence based and not very thorough. I went to four different schools growing up, a different kindergarten than my elementary school, then my middle school and then my high school. They're all different school districts. Elementary and middle school were two different school districts. So diff- different sex ed programs to begin with. And still like across the two, not amazing. But it was consistent. Right? Yeah. Like consistent not being amazing. Definitely learned more in middle school, but I don't know if that's because of how it goes or the different schools. I don't know. But those are my experiences. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think back to my sex ed experience as well.
1: And I just remember... There's one very vivid memory where we all had to go around and say the word breast and not laugh. (laughs) But like, it's not, I I don't think I could do that today.
0: If we were made to sit in a circle (laughs) with your peers and say breast without laughing, it'd be the most ridiculous exercise ever. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone (laughs) would be laughing.
1: That's exactly like how I feel about it now. Because at the time I was like, I'm very mature. Like I can definitely say breast. But it came around to me, and I like started laughing because I was like, "This is kind of ridiculous, so weird." But anyway, that was like one exercise. We watched That's a birth so video. Funny.
0: Also, why is that a part of a sex ed class? I don't know. You know, like why? <laughs> is it also <laughs> like the fear idea? Like this is what you have to go through if you have sex, Maybe. kind of thing? Like, I guess you get pregnant. But you know what's funny like, is know. that. So, in my sex ed class was
1: in the eighth grade. But I, in that class, it was really more of a class on like puberty. and like, which I feel like they usually combine. I would think that, but actually now that I'm thinking more on it, the first time I really had any kind of like contraceptive talk, which is like a loose like term, was in my ninth grade health class. Mm -hmm. That's like the required health class that you have to take for a semester in High school. high school. yeah. I took it as a freshman, but I was like, what if you were a senior taking this? Like yeah. either you had to learn it before, which you probably did from some other source, or you're only learning it for the first time as a senior. But anyway, I don't really remember many details. I just remember not giving much thought to that whole class. But I do remember my teacher ultimately coming to the conclusion, she said, you know, the best way to avoid Consequences of sex is just to not have sex. But now in hindsight, I'm like, oh yeah, we didn't do, I've just heard like other schools. I mean, they are very like forward-thinking kind of schools, but there's other schools where they like will practice putting on a condom and like having like really in-depth conversations about birth control and contraception and safe sex and stis. And we did not have that, or at least not anything that was notable. I don't remember anything. Nothing that stands out in my memory, kind of going from that. What gender inequalities, because we of course have to tie back to gender. What gender inequalities do you feel like are reinforced by sex ed programs as they exist now? And then kind of what changes are being made or need to be made to improve sexual health for like adolescents and young people. And also just like everyone in general.
0: I'll say, at least when I was growing up, at least in elementary school, sex ed was like divided. Like the girls and the boys had different classes. So I don't know what was talked about in the boys class, but I think it's interesting is that we, like we talked about periods and menstruation in the woman, like in the girl class. And I doubt they talked about that in the boy class. And I just wonder if the classes had been like both, like everyone in the class, then. How would that change like boys' perceptions of of menstruation like growing up? You know, if they just like learned about it as a normal thing in school as part of reproductive health, then how would that like affect them being men later? Yeah, their their development. Yeah. That's something I've thought about because I just remember that so distinctly that we would talk about that, but it would only be girls in the room. And now looking back, I'm like, could have been beneficial for everyone because per our menstruation episode, um, people don't know anything about periods. People, as in men. Another thing that I don't think is talked about in sex ed, maybe it is, I don't know, I don't teach sex ed, but that would attribute to a lot of gender issues around sex. Is I don't, if you're just teaching abstinence, then you're not teaching consent. You know, like, true, you can't learn to consent if you are being taught you shouldn't even have sex in the first place, you know, and yeah. that is the base of a lot of issues. I think I'm sure that's not taught in programs that are absent in space, which is majority of programs to begin with. That's a very good point. Launching even like off that platform, if you can't talk about consent, like if your class is not comfortable teaching consent, then there's no way that class is comfortable talking about forms of sex and and like your own sexuality and like how you feel and exploring those things and who to talk to about those things. And, you know, like, Getting into those more progressive ideas of being more open with people talking about their sexuality and their feelings. And there's like no space for kids to do that if your only solution in sex ed is to not have sex at all. Because then people are like, well, I don't even want to talk about how I feel then because then they think I'm thinking about that and they just told me not to think about it kind of thing. I agree. And I think
1: something that came to mind for me in terms of like gender inequality is just this through line of like a moral double standard where like women need to change their behavior so that men can act responsibly. Yeah. And I feel like the only thing that was in history mildly affecting men was this thought of like, oh, should they or should they not masturbate? That was like Mm -hmm. the biggest thing they had to grapple with. But nowadays, like this moral double standard definitely does exist because there's so much onus on like women needing to change their behavior. And then, yeah, other things I was thinking about were like you mentioned discussions about like sexuality that I think could be, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been in high school in a long time, so I don't know what has changed. Probably not that much, but like, I don't know if that's a portion of sex ed and I think it should be. And then also just like informed decision-making, which kind of ties into consent and like Being able to, you know, make decisions for your own sexual health for yourself, but in informed decision making, thinking about like what's best for your body and like how can you protect yourself, but also like engage in pleasurable acts. Like that is like way too. I know that that's like not something that's realistic to talk about, but like in my ideal world, that would be something. Yeah. But at the very least, having like consensual intercourse informed decision-making regarding like birth control, contraception use, um, STI prevention and protection. Like those things need to be outlined more clearly. And I feel like it wasn't until college that I even started to have those conversations with people. And it was Mm -hmm. purely because there's so much sexual violence and sexual trauma that occurs on college campuses. That like the school had to teach us about it. Yeah. To try to mitigate. I remember that.
0: like first week of college having like the required basically it was sex ed. Like I remember them like actually demonstrating how to use a condom, which I feel like I've never I never saw growing up in a sex ed class. I saw it in college first week.
1: But imagine how much better that would be if it wasn't like a required task that you had to blow through to like enroll in school and just like had it as part of your education
0: like if you just learned it's not like you have to throw a kindergartner face first into sex ed right but you could like incorporate topics like this into conversations throughout schooling as you grow up which begins with like small things when you're young and then slowly builds a foundation so you can start having more advanced and like nuanced topics and conversations as you get older because you have that foundation you know like it shouldn't have to be a shock for college students to learn about consent and learn about like sexual assault and things like that like those are things they should have been talking about in high school because when they were five they learned that you are allowed to tell someone no you don't want to hug someone and they go in to hug you you know like that's consent for a five-year-old and those that same idea is around like the critical race theory and stuff. If you read about how that should be integrated without like throwing in someone's face these like really advanced topics to young kids, um, the same can be applied to like sex ed topics. You don't have to go to a child like a five year old and be like, listen, this is how sex works, but you can talk to them about consent and their body and how their body is personal and no one else should look at it and touch it and those things because those are good foundations to go off of. So And with that,
1: perhaps we come to a close today. So if you like that episode and others, you can subscribe to our podcast. We're available on all the podcasting apps. You can leave us a rating and review and Apple podcast is the best place to do that.
0: Yeah. You can also follow us on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Um, it's in our bio if you want to find them and then um, we also have a website, which is from Scrubs com, with more information, show notes, sources, merch, etc. And lastly, here is to the women who have fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. See everyone Absolutely. next time. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.